Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Uh, when I was a kid, I would choose my friends uh, primarily based on how good of toys they had, right? If you had Ninja Turtles, if you had Nintendo, I was your best bud. I didn't have a lot to offer, but I had loyalty. So if you had good toys, man, I was in your corner no matter what. It was the first time that I saw a video game machine from my friend Brian who lived around the block from me. And he had the classic Nintendo Entertainment System. And I went over there to watch him play video games and I watched him play Mario, the classic first Mar Super Mario Brothers. And he handed me the controllers and said, do you want to try? And I, absolutely, I've never played video games before. So he tells me what to do, press this button and you jump, uh, press this button and you move forward, and you just avoid stuff. Sounds great. So I'm playing and I move very slowly, and then I come to this chasm, and I say, what do I do? And he says, jump over the chasm. He didn't use the word chasm. Um, and, and I said, what happens if I don't make it? And he said, you die. So I stopped, and I did nothing. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't want to die. And he said, then you're not playing the game. And I said, well, if I fall in that pit, then I'm dying, and I'm not playing the game either. <laughs> he says, no, 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 you just come back. You just, you just come back, and you start over. And I was like, well, that's not dying. And he said, we, we call it dying, but you come back. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And so... I jumped, I died, and I got to play again, and it was great. And a lifelong addiction of video games began. And now, what am I trying to say to you today? I'm not saying, Christians, don't be afraid of death. Go find a bottomless pit and jump in it. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that death, even at young ages, when we're young, we understand it, we hear it, death can paralyze us. Death can rob us of meaning. The threat of death can make us think, why bother? Why do anything at all? Today we're wrapping up our uh, sermon series on 1 Corinthians. We're calling it an upside-down church. Through this group of people, they're learning new ways of being in community with each other that honor the lowest, that, don't, that bring down the highest, and turns things upside down so that they can partner with God in turning the world upside down. Here we are at the end, and we've come through chapter after chapter. Well, it's actually a big book. It's 16 chapters, and we've kind of hit every other chapter. So next summer, we'll do all the even chapters. And, but one of the things that I've been trying to capture for us over these last six weeks is that Paul is speaking to a church that is a train wreck, that are at each other's throats. And really what he's doing is in addition to addressing each problem, he's setting up a new framework for Christian ethics. It's the reason why this letter endures. It's the reason why this letter got passed around from church to church for, for decades and centuries, and eventually the church said, this is real good. We should call it Scripture. In the framework, what is Christian ethics? Ethics is how to be moral. So for Paul, he sets up 
Christian ethics for us, and he gives us three focal points for how Christians should live in the world. We have three points of focus. The first one is the cross, to have an attitude like Christ Jesus, who lowered himself and became a servant for others. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but lower yourself. Don't seek the highest seats. Don't think that you should elevate yourself to the highest status and that this is going to somehow win you a reward. Instead, be like Christ who made himself the lowest and the servant of all. That's the first focal point. The second focal point is the community. Are you using your gifts to build up one another or are you practicing your religion like it's candy, like it's just for you, like it's just for your pleasure? No. A Christian ethic understands that everything we do is for others, for the community, to build up one another. Third is the new creation. We have a hope. We have a vision of a world made right where there is no hunger, no thirst, there is no tears, there is no pain, there is no death. We have a vision of that world, and we join with God to make that world a reality now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. So we have a vision of a world where no one is hungry. How do we proclaim that world? By ending hunger here and now. The cross, the community, and the new creation. These are the focal points for Christian ethics. And there is one spiritual ability that is indispensable that we must all act and use, and it is love. Everything we do is worthless without love. If through this entire sermon series, that's all you heard, then my mission has been accomplished, okay? The cross, the community, the new creation, everything boiled down to love. But there's still a question. There's still a question left that the Corinthians ask Paul, that the ancient prophets asked God, and that we ask ourselves even today. Yes, okay, this is how to be ethical, but why bother being ethical at all? Why bother being moral if everything is going to die anyway, if everything is going to fall apart? Does anything truly last? It's a question that burns, and it's a question that we feel. It's something that threatens our very core every time we brush up against death. Is it worth it? Death threatens the meaning of everything we do. Just a couple generations from now, will people even know my name? Will they know what I've created? Will they know what I've done? How long until everything about me is completely forgotten? Is it worth it? We try to go in this world ignoring that question because it's dark, because it can defeat us, because it can paralyze us. But death is persistent. Death reminds us often that it is lurking, waiting, that it is coming. And so in difficult moments, we ask ourselves, is it worth it? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes asks the same question, and in fact decides it's not. Everything is vanity, vanity of vanities, 
What else is there to do but just enjoy this day and trust God? Maybe that's satisfying for some, but it's not satisfying for all. And the prophets go to God and say, God, you are a God of justice, and our life is to be a life of righteousness where we do the right thing and partner with you in making things right in this world. But there's one problem with that, God. Death is unjust. How many innocent die before the wrongs can be made right? God, are you a God of justice or not? This is the question Ezekiel puts to God. God, how can you call yourself a God of justice when so many lives end without justice? God says, Ezekiel, come here. I got something to show you. He takes him in a trance to the valley of the dry bones. And he says, Ezekiel, take a look. Can these bones live again? Ezekiel says, only you know, Lord. And he says, watch and look. And Ezekiel gets a vision of the dead coming back to life, of bones coming back to life, and sinews and skin and flesh reanimated and life restored. And God explains to Ezekiel and the prophets and to us that death does not have the final say. I am a God of justice, and everything that is lost will be regained. There is coming a day when it all comes back. Do not think I'm a God that is not just. I am a God of justice, and I will redeem all that is lost. And so the hope is birthed. The hope is birthed in ancient Israel. The idea is birthed that there is coming a day when God will make all things right and everything lost, everything lost even to death will come back. And it's a hope that they hold on to. It's the hope that's present in the New Testament. You remember when Jesus goes to Lazarus' sister Mary and she's weeping outside of his tomb because Lazarus has been dead for four days and Jesus asks her a peculiar question. He says, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in a coming day when all things will be reversed, when the dead will rise? And through her tears, she knows the correct answer. She knows the right answer. She says, yes, yes, there's coming a day, but so what? My brother is dead. And Jesus then says to her, that day that day when all things are reversed, when the dead come back to life, it's beginning right now. I am the life and the resurrection. And he raises Lazarus as a sign of that future breaking into the present. As Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he is saying to them who have lost hope, some of them have stopped believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that there is no resurrection of the dead. Um, and Paul goes, wait, you're misunderstanding what the resurrection means to us. The resurrection of Jesus was not just like a magic trick that happened in our past. The resurrection of Jesus says something about our future. In the incarnation, 
Christ has bound himself with our fate. In the incarnation, God has come down on our level, has become human in every way that we are human so that he can know and empathize with every struggle and every fear that we go through. Christ has become one of us to know fear, anxiety, to even know and understand how death threatens meaning. Those were not fake tears that Jesus cried or fake sweat that Jesus dropped the day before his crucifixion. In the incarnation, God comes to know everything that we know and goes through what we will go through. And in Jesus, we have somebody that can empathize and know us. But that's not all. In the resurrection, Christ has bound our future to his future. In the resurrection, that future world where everything is changed has begun in Jesus. The resurrection has started, and death has lost its threat because nothing is lost. What Paul says is that Christ is the first fruit, the first crop of the coming harvest. If there's a first, then there's going to be more. Christ's resurrection is a down payment on the fact that death will not have the final say. Christ's resurrection is the promise here and now that God's future is coming, that God's future is breaking in. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a belief about something that happened in the past, but is a world changing moment. A new world is breaking in and it's happening right now. The resurrection has begun in Jesus and death doesn't get the final say. Everything comes back. It's true. Now, it's not just for our souls. It's not just for us. The scripture is pretty clear, and I, and I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been calling it the new creation. I'm not calling it heaven. I'm calling it the new creation because that's what the New Testament calls it. It's not hope just for our souls, but it's hope for absolutely everything. We hear in Isaiah chapter 65 that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. God is remaking everything. In Romans, Paul talks about how all of creation is groaning for for the sons of uh, the children of God to be revealed for redemption to happen so that even creation itself will be set free from the slavery to corruption and decay everything is changing paul says in second corinthians chapter 5 that if anybody is alive in christ they are a part of the new creation revelation has a hope that all things will be made right all things come back and all things are alive forever. We have a hope that in the resurrection of Jesus, something has begun that makes all things come back. In what manner will they come back? I don't know. I don't know everything. I don't, if you want to ask me exactly what the next life is going to be like, it's going to be a little bit of a rough conversation. I've got some ideas. And, um, you know, when I was in seminary, 
We had a whole semester on 1 Corinthians, and then we had another whole semester on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we could talk about the resurrection for a long time and what that hope is. But I believe that it is so much more than just a hope in our wispy souls going to another dimension forever in eternity, all right? The Bible doesn't have that view, view for, for heaven, for the fate of our souls. The Bible has a view that everything will be restored, that everything will be made new. In the Bible, God never intends for creation to be disposable, but God sees that everything will be made new. I got a phone call a few weeks ago from uh, the guy that bought our house in Beaverton because we were friendly home sellers and they asked for our personal phone numbers and we were like, sure, how bad could that be? And so we gave them our phone numbers and uh, there was a lot of text messaging, a lot of phone calls about, hey, is this smoke detector always go off every time you turn, off the turn on the oven? Or are we doing something wrong? Or how long does the hot water take to heat up? All these things. And we're like, it's okay. It's okay. We're all right. <laughs> he called, he, he emailed. So he dialed up the importance of the communication. He said, hey, we really love to do like a FaceTime conversation sometime. We have a lot of questions about what's going on around the house and in the yard and in the garden especially. We let that email simmer for a couple of days and, um, and we said, if you've ever sent me an email, then you know I let emails simmer for a couple of days. And, um, and we said, okay, we'll call you Sunday afternoon. And he calls and they're a little younger than us, first-time home buyers, first-time gardeners, all these things. And we gave them some tips, and we gave them a map of all the different flower beds that Joanna had worked pretty hard over the last couple of years to, to make. And he kept calling, and he said, he said, okay, so we're watering the way that you want us to water, but I don't know if I'm watering enough or what's happening because everything is dying. Like the flowers have stopped blooming and they're not blooming anymore and the rosemary is starting to turn black here and there and the, the banana tree is losing its leaves and it's turning into mush and what am I doing wrong? And I could feel the sense of dread that death was putting into his heart. <laughs> everything is dying. All the time I've been spending in the garden, it's worthless. All the time, all the watering, all the money, all the energy we're putting into it. And we were able to say to him, easy, easy. And many of you gardeners are already laughing. It's going to come back. What? It's going to come back. The rosemary is going to come back. It's going to come back. The flowers are going to come back. They're going to come back. Uh, the banana tree, it's going to come back. Everything comes back. So all of your effort, all of Joanna's effort, everything we've put into this garden, it's not for waste. Church, this is the promise of the resurrection, that everything you have done, the things that you've created, the music, the art that you've created, it's coming back. The love that you've poured into people, even though they die, it's coming back. The work that you've made to make this world better for other people, it's coming back. Nothing you've done is done in vain 
because it's all coming back. We have a hope in a world where everything is made right, where death can't touch anything, and everything you do matters because it's all coming back. I think about the people that we've lost. I think about the people that we don't see again on this side of creation. The love and the effort and the energy we've put into these relationships. Friends, it's not in vain because it's all coming back. Christ is at work making all things new. And in this time, in between times, where God's future has begun in Jesus' resurrection, we are working with God to bring everything into its proper place, bring everything to reflect God's future. And all of our work, everything that we do matters because nothing is gone forever. It's all coming back. What manner How will it all come back? I don't really, really know. I have some ideas. But what the New Testament says is that we don't really know, but Jesus' body, Jesus' resurrection is a hint of what that world will be like. Jesus returns in the flesh, but changed and different. Jesus returns and he's recognizable, but a little bit different. Jesus returns, and even the scars on his hands are there, but they are healed. What Jesus went through in the first life, I should say, it matters and it endures into the next life, and Jesus comes back changed and healed. I don't know exactly what the new creation is going to be like, but if I could name it in one word, It would be healed. It would be healed. It would be health. And this is good news, not just for humans, and not just for us, but for all of creation. God never intended for creation to be disposable. Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called Flourish. And the tagline is Reclaiming a Creational Faith. What if we dive deep into the scriptures again and regain an appreciation for God's love for creation and God's work to redeem all creation? And how does that influence and change our understanding of the resurrection and what Jesus does? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving deep into the early stories of Genesis to reclaim this love and appreciation that God has for all of creation. The resurrection is a down payment on God's promise to never give up on all created things, you and me included. It all comes back. Nothing you've done is in vain. A couple of questions as we think about this, as we uh, take a moment to process some of this message. The first one is uh, in 1 Corinthians, those of you that have been joining us for this journey, What has really stood out to you in this study of 1 Corinthians? What new insights have you gained from 1 Corinthians? Second question I have for you is, we've been talking a lot about God's future breaking into our present. And again, the resurrection of Jesus is the future of God breaking into our present. But in what other ways have you seen the hope of the new creation break through into the present world? Maybe it's through 
the forgiveness of a wrong that you didn't think would ever get forgiven. Maybe it's through the rebirth that you've seen in this or that or healing. How have you seen God's future break into the present? And finally, I've mentioned that we have three focal points for Christian ethics, the cross, the community, and the new creation. Is there maybe one of those three focus points that God is saying, pay attention, I need you to lean more into this to have the attitude of Christ who made himself the lowest. I need you to lean more into this, putting the needs of the community above your own. I need you to lean more into this, exploring what that new creation means and how do we implement it today. Let's take a moment right now and contemplate and think about these things. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.